This episode of Voices in My Head is brought to you by Podbean. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. Visit podbean.com voices to find out more. That's podbean.com voices. This is Rick Lee James, and the music you are hearing is from my new album, Thunder. The title track, Thunder, is a never-before-released song by the late Rich Mullins. There are also 12 other tracks made up of original music, hymns, and readings to guide the listener on a journey. You can buy Thunder today on clear vinyl and CD, or stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, and almost every other music streaming service. Thunder, hear it today at rickleyjames.com. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes, or by tweeting at me, at Rick Lee James on Twitter, And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at Mr. Rogers Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I am so glad that you are here with us today. Many have been taught to see God as a terrifying agent of wrath who spews anger at any sign of imperfection. At the same time, they've been taught that they are inherently flawed and devoid of goodness. So where does that leave us? For Ben DeLong, it left him hiding his skeletons from the monster he believed God to be. This proved to be a perfect recipe for anxiety, depression, and insecurity. But what if God accepts our skeletons? What if he actually embraces them in love? How would that change our outlook? For author Ben DeLong, it changed everything. This book is about his journey to find what was always true. We are eternally embraced by God, skeletons and all and he is never letting go. Ben DeLong, welcome to Voices in My Head. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am truly glad to have you as a guest today. I have been enjoying your book, There is a God in My Closet, Encountering the Love Who Embraces Our Skeletons. Um, It came out just in July of this year, and uh, I I really think a lot of people are are going to find it to be very refreshing, especially in the ways that we talk about who God is. Before we get into the book itself, just tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, Well, I... uh... I was born and, and raised in Iowa, and uh, my dad was um, a pastor out there. Um, so I lived there all my childhood through high school. Um, and then I ended up going to Mid America Nazarene University uh, for college and uh, got a bachelor's of ministry in there. And then um, after that, I went to um, Nazarene Theological Seminary 
and um, got a master's in intercultural studies there. Um, but I met my wife, um, Irene, um, during undergrad, and uh, we got married after our junior year, and we've been married for 14 years now. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. And um, we're also uh, closing in on adopting our first child. Oh, um, wonderful. So, yeah, we're very, very excited about that. That's um, Thanks. And uh, now we, we live in Ukiah, uh, California. We've been out here for about seven years. Um, I pastored a church for about four years, um, and then we um, had to close that down and kind of kind of in between ministry posts right now. But um, for the time being, I, I, I've been working as an IT professional at the school district out here for about six years. Well, good for you. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little more as we talk about your book. And once again, we I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but the, your new book is called There's a God in My Closet, Encountering the Love Who Embraces Our Skeletons. So let's just dive in a little bit and talk about this. Uh, the God in My Closet metaphor, what does that mean and, and where does that come from? Um, well, it it kind of it kind of describes my whole spiritual journey in a nutshell of um, at one time um, developing this image of God in my head as as a monster um, because I I saw God as someone who was um, hateful and vengeful <clears throat> and of course you know that that was mixed with images of love and mercy um, but that that two that two faced nature. Um, kind of created this monster inside of me. And so I, um, I hid everything that I was ashamed of from God. And of course God sees everything, but I wasn't going to deal with it with him. And so I just kind of held it in. Um, well, I, I started seeing a spiritual director about three years ago and he really challenged me that, um, those things that we're ashamed of our sin and our scars and our brokenness that, um, we really need to look at those. And, um, I, I kind of learned that, you know, we, we push our sin away because God can't look at our sin. And he really challenged me, no, you have to look at it and God's going to be there with you. Um, and so I, you know, um, went into my closet, um, as it were, and, and looked at all the skeletons within me that I didn't want to look at and found that yes, God was there, but he was so compassionate and loving. And, um, and, all the all the lies and the scars that I thought were going to kill me. I mean, I thought they were going to kill me were the things that God used for redemption in me. And that's that's really the, the big thing is that salvation and redemption that comes through our brokenness, which is, of course, has such a rich heritage in the Christian tradition as a whole. But a lot of times in evangelical circles, that gets lost a little bit. Well, you know, I want to talk to you about that because some of the things that you were facing with, I guess, these false images of God that so many of us have, uh, it, it had an impact on your faith uh, through yeah. anxiety and depression and trauma. And, and one thing that I thought might be interesting uh, to talk about with this, do you personally feel like anxiety and depression and trauma has an impact upon our faith? more or do you feel like it's maybe the other way around that our faith can often uh, be a source of our anxiety a source of our anxiety and, and depression and trauma i'm just kind of curious as to what you think Did, does one feed the other um or can they um yeah i i definitely think it goes both ways um i think that 
if someone is dealing with anxiety and depression and has had trauma in their life and they, um, the faith that they're taught, um, the foundation of that faith is a God who is angry and retributive. And on top of that, perhaps their faith is also telling them that they're no good, that they're depraved or however you want to say it. I definitely think that can make that anxiety and depression worth worse. But I also think, I, I know in my case that it can also cause that stuff. Mm. Um, and I, I just think of, um, I mean, imagine if a child was, was living in a family, um, where one or both of the parents, you know, told them repeatedly, you're no good, you know, you're worthless. I can't stand looking at you. Um, and on top of that, their parents were angry and, and two faced and unpredictable. I mean, you would be shocked if that child grew up to be well-adjusted, yeah. you, you would more expect them to deal with anxiety and depression and have dysfunctional behaviors as a result of that environment. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and I'm, I'm always interested by this because I feel like good faith or, or good religion, even I, I consider myself, I, I kind of get tired of the phrase that people throw around, of, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. I always want to say, but no, <laughs> I am religious. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Christian, and so that's a part mm -hmm. of religion. And I feel like faith that that is healthy and faith that is good can actually be a type of faith that helps anxiety and depression and trauma uh, to be dealt with uh, in, in very healthy ways. And, and as you just said, though, so often... Um, religion and, and faith can actually be misused in a way that it does add to the anxiety, which which is really probably a sign for us that maybe our religion is has taken on unhealthy patterns. And uh, and I think it's very interesting because a lot of different denominations will approach different views of God, which I do think. Um, are are causing those anxieties and and you you already mentioned it today if you know if a child had felt like uh, because their parents had were constantly telling them that they were angry at them or they hated them and how maladjusted they would be well that is the theology that that many uh forms of of, of denominations often seem to be spouting you know it's almost like yeah. god hated me so much but then jesus hid my sin and now god can love me again <laughs> you know right which yeah. is a, which is a really um difficult and and i think unhealthy way of looking at god so i appreciate how in your book you are talking about um, sort of confronting the diagnosis uh, of your own journey of dealing with these anxieties and, and traumas and the way that you are um, on the journey of, of healing with these things. So I appreciate you being open to write about these. You are very honest in your book and uh, everything from, from struggles with your marriage and pornography and, and different things that are hard to talk about sometimes. Uh, you have been um, so transparent and so honest to be able to to talk about in a way that I think will help other people maybe be able to be a little more honest and talk about as well so that healing can begin to come. Um, well, I, I've talked enough and I need to get back to you, but I, all this that you have said is, has uh, sparked some good things in my mind for us to think about, I think. Um, Let's talk about a bit of your, your journey. What, what were some keys to you um, in sort of unlocking after your diagnosis uh, of unlocking this healing from anxiety and depression? Um, well, I definitely think um, there's a, a quote from um, 
Julian of Norwich that I, I have in the book. Um, and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but basically it says that first comes our fall and then comes the recovery from the fall. And, and both of those are the mercy of God. Mm. And, and so I definitely, um, I think that's why I'm so open to talking about my struggles because it's definitely part of the journey. Um, and so my, um, I think as, as much as I, um, you know, don't like, I guess that pornography is part of my journey. Like I, it was also something that opened up to me at, you know, how much I was suffering inside. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, as, as I grew up and came, got into high school, went to college, I just had this, um, intense brokenness. And, um, and of course, you know, I didn't realize all that at the time, but, um, I just had this hope and this idea, if I could just find a girl that loved me, then I, I was just convinced that that was going to fix me. Mm. And so I, um, you know, had some girlfriends in high school and those didn't work out. And so it kind of, you know, fed into that, um, brokenness. But then I, I went to college and I met my wife and, and we got married and, you know, again, I, I didn't know any of this was going on inside of me, but, you know, inside it's like, well, I finally found this, you know, beautiful and wonderful woman that loves me. So I should be fixed now. <laughs> and, um, and of course that's not how it works because only God can do that. And, yeah. and so, um, but again, I didn't realize that was going on. And so I, after a few years of marriage, I got caught up in, in pornography and, and, um, I realized later that the reason for that was, be was because of my brokenness. And, and it was, it was a way to feel like I was getting some intimacy without actually having to risk, risk rejection, hmm. which is, you know, the reason a lot, of, a lot of men get into that. And, and so I just felt so worthless. I mean, I, you know, I, I tried to be the good religious kid and I felt like crap when I did that and now I'm failing and I still feel like crap. And so I kind of don't know what to do, but, um, around that time, my sisters had gone to the spiritual formation seminar called, um, breakthrough in the Kansas city area mm -hmm. and were really hounding me on it. And they were just talking about how good it was for them and how they thought I needed to do it. And, it sounded expensive and uncomfortable and, and, um, I didn't want to do it, but after a while I was like, man, I got to do something. Mm. Um, cause this, you know, this just isn't working. And so I, I went and I was surprised that my wife wanted to go too, but you know, she wanted to, to do it together. And, um, so I went there and, and it's that seminar. It's very, uh, it's very confrontational, like in a very loving and compassionate way, but it wants you to see like, this is what's really going on inside you. Mm. And they, um, just showed me how I was letting others control my life, um, because it was easy and because I just had no self confidence at all. And, um, and I, I ended up seeing that and it made me mad and it, and it should have made me mad. You know, I mean, it, it, um, that's a crappy place to live. And so I, um, they put us through this exercise where I could kind of break through that. And, um, and that was a wonderful experience, but as, as I've, I've recognized this pattern that when you get to this amazing, um, realization, then comes the hard work of actually trying to live in that. <laughs> And, and so the next, um, so the next couple of years, um, our marriage 
was just really deteriorating because we, you know, we had these wonderful realizations where we weren't um, really getting to the root cause. And, and so we, um, we got to this really bad place in our marriage and um, we had both hurt each other and we weren't, we were talking, but we couldn't hear each other because we're both talking out of our wounds. Mm. And, um, and so we finally went to marriage counseling and um, we're sitting with a counselor on, on the love seat and, and that, that's when she explains to me of, of why men go into pornography and that it's because they're broken and they're looking for something. And so she's talking to us and I'm, I'm fully expecting, you know, she's going to give us strategies for communicating. She's going to give us tips for a better marriage. But instead she looks at me and she's like, Ben, you have got to know how much God loves you. Hmm. And I was like, well, I, d- <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, but it, it was true. Like I didn't, I I didn't know that, and I didn't even know it was possible because in my soul, God was just a very angry person. Um, and so I I learned through that that um, you know, I had this anxiety and and depression that kind of diagnosed me with that during that time, and um, and so um you know, really worked on developing and discovering different ways of understanding the gospel. Um, through that, I um, later ended up seeing um, the spiritual director that I talked about and mm-hmm. um, just helped me just helped me form a, a healthier way of understanding the gospel, of understanding God and who I am that, that was very faithful to the Christian tradition um, and, and honestly more faithful than what I had been given. Mm. Um and and so I, you know, all that long story to say, like I definitely echo what you said. Like good religion can be so healing, um, and I mean that that's why I'm still a Christian. That's why I'm still involved in church. Like I, my biggest scars have directly or indirectly come from church life, hmm. um, but my most healing moments have come from really experiencing Christ. Well, Ben, thank you for sharing that. I, I know that's not easy to be able to share about those things. And uh, I, like probably most men, have had battles with that in my own life. And uh, so it's a hard thing uh, to be able to share about. And yet you've talked about it in, in such a humble way today. And, and it's so good to hear stories of healing. Um, it's so good to hear that um, that you have held on to your faith and to your Christianity in the midst of this and, and have, have come through with uh, a much healthier um, understanding of who God is and and that you have a much healthier way of even approaching religion. And I so appreciate that. So before we went any further, I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of you uh, for being able to tell your story. And and I just really appreciate it just on a personal level. So thank you for having the bravery and the courage to to be able to tell us that part of your story to, to, uh, you know, the the thousands of people who might be listening. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, and that is a huge thing. So so thank you, thank you so much for for doing that. Sure. But but I can hear in your, I can hear in the tenor of your voice um, that you really truly do believe uh, in in a God who embraces us and who loves us. And I can tell that yeah. there is has been healing there uh, in your life. And I'm so glad to hear that. And and I want people to to read the book and dive in more deeply into your story. And as they do that, they're going to find um, some common themes that you write about. And, and, and one thing that, that you have made um, 
a point about is that there seems to be a lack of emphasis on and understanding on on the incarnation uh, in the evangelical church and I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about um, why there seems to be that lack of emphasis and understanding on the incarnation and what some of the consequences are to that yeah sure um, and I you know I, I think you could argue that this is one of the this might be the biggest um, theological weakness in a lot of evangelical theology um, yeah, so I, I think the reason there's a misunderstanding is when when um, I hear a lot of evangelicals, not all of them, but a lot of them talk about the incarnation, you know, and celebrate at Christmas time. They they talk about well, Jesus became human, but what they really what they really mean is that Jesus became a human being so that he could represent us when he died for our punishment on the cross, and so. Um, because that common gospel is, well, God needed to punish someone and Jesus had to represent us. Jesus doesn't have to be connected to us. He just has to represent us. Um, but the the real power of the incarnation, um, which I, I think is just gets um, so beautifully emphasized, and especially in Eastern Orthodox theology, is that, Jesus didn't just become a human being. He became human, period, and, and he connected with all humanity. Um, and so that what he did um, on the cross and through the resurrection and ascension, he didn't just do for us, which, of course, he did for us, but he also did it to us and, and as us. Um, and so one one thing that that does is that it, it reminds us that salvation and redemption – is first of all God's idea, and and sometimes we get mixed up with that because we we emphasize, you know, your conversion point or when you say the sinner's prayer or or one of those things, and and those are great. But if your understanding is well, salvation happened when I did that, well, that puts a lot of pressure on yourself that mm. that God never intended to be on you, um, because. You know, what about the days when you just don't have that faith? I mean, what, you know, what happens then? And so um, I I love, um, there's this quote from Karl Barth, and uh, the way one of my professors paraphrased it was someone asked him, um, you know, when, when were you saved? Kind of in that mindset of their conversion or sinner's prayer moment. And he said, well, I was saved 2,000 years ago, just like everybody else. And <laughs> And um, and so there's just an emphasis that that it, God God did it, and and he he wrapped us into himself. And so the the point of Christian faith is not you know forgiveness is great, but forgiveness is more a means to the end, and it's it's a means to that relationship and that restoration. Um, and so our um, part as Christians is not to believe that God did something for us. It's to um, participate in what he's doing as us and to us. And so the, the, um, the journey that Jesus took, um, that pattern of death and resurrection, um, it's not just saying, well, I believe God died for my sins, and I believe, you know, that 2,000 years ago he raised again. It's saying, I believe that Christ has connected me with the divine 
and I can experience that pattern. And so when there's um, something in me that is bringing death and dysfunction, that I can journey to the depths with Christ and experience that death, and I can rise again to new life. Hmm. And that's and I can experience that right now. And I, and I feel like I feel like we lose that if we don't get the incarnation right. If if we think that that Jesus just represented us and we kind of lose that. Yeah, no, that's very good, and that's that's a great place for us to to dive into a few other topics today that you write about, and uh, and and I'm going to name off these three, and and we can talk about them as briefly or as much as we want to today. But you talk about too how um, things create monsters uh, so often, and mm -hmm. one, one thing that often creates monsters are, are these three things that, that we're going to talk about in these next few moments together. Um, one is our understanding of Scripture, or maybe I should say our misunderstanding of Scripture often, yeah. creates, often creates a monster. Um, our understanding of the cross often creates a monster, and I have a couple things I want to talk about on that one as well with you. Sure. Um, and then um, how our understanding of hell often creates a monster. And there's there's so much more that, that we could get into, but we'll try to limit it to this just for the sake of our conversation today. Talk to us a little bit about how our understanding of Scripture often creates a monster. Yeah, um... Well, and I think maybe this sort of goes back to the incarnation as well, um, you know, because we, when we talk about the word of God, sometimes we don't realize that that's Christ, like mm -hmm. Christ is the word of God. And of course, the Bible is there to, to help us. And, and I believe it is inspired, but but how, what does that really mean? And And most of the times when I've heard Christians talk about the Bible is inspired, um, what they mean is that, well, everything, I mean, at minimum, they mean everything um, in the Bible that portrays God's character is equally valid. Hmm. Um, and and that's um, that can be really problematic when you're trying to follow Jesus, you know, who said, love your enemies, and in doing so, you will be like your father in heaven. Um, who cried out for forgiveness of his executioners as he's dying on the cross. And then you also see portraits of God where he's commanding genocide and he's, right. um, he's killing someone because they inadvertently broke the rules. Um, he's killing an innocent baby because of his father's sin. I mean, all it, if we, if we, make these all equally um, authoritative, we have really big problems. Um, and God, I mean, at minimum, he's two-faced. And, you know, but more likely, I mean, what would we think of, you know, world leaders if they did those kind of things? Yeah. Um, and so we, if we make that the point of scripture, if we turn it into this sort of instruction manual, that we have a God who, um, can go on violent rampages, who <clears throat> um, endorses um, uh, the the sacrificial system that that was not just with the Hebrews. I mean that that started that was going on all through the ancient um, civilizations. And then we can endorse this. Um, there's a development in Scripture about where does evil come from, and there are 
portions of scripture where they they have it coming from God because that's that's what they thought back then, mm-hmm. and and there's this development of of thought where they realize oh wait God God's good he can't do that, um, but if if we approach it as this instruction manual sort of way, um, it really um, it really creates a problem for how we understand God. I mean we we don't really know what God we're dealing with at that point. Well, and I really like that in your book you emphasize uh, that it is important for us to read each book of the Bible according to its genre, and that different genres are written in different ways by different authors in different times, and there are even even places in Scripture. I, I often talk about this with my friend who's a, a rabbi here at our, our local Jewish temple, uh-huh. and, uh, and I love talking to him uh, about specifically the Old Testament Scriptures, although he is, even though he's not a Christian, he's very well versed in New Testament as well, and I often will ask him and said, don't you think that uh, it, it's true that the Bible is often sort of having an argument with itself? And and he says, oh, yes, he says, it's very, very much a Jewish way of approaching Scripture in that yeah. uh, not that we see it like a, a, uh, a science book or some sort of textbook, uh, but we almost look at it as though we are wrestling through faith together, like like Jacob uh, and, and Esau and, and Isaac and, and, you know, the, the different... Uh, people through scripture and and with Jacob the literal wrestling of God you know yeah, <laughs> seeing yeah. that in scripture of we're trying to work out how the world works and what God is doing in it and I think sometimes especially in in the evangelical tradition we're just not good about approaching scripture in a way um, that is healthy or even maybe accurate to the ways that it was written in the first place so I appreciate right. the emphasis that you make um, in the book about helping us have that understanding and I also really love the emphasis upon um, if we're going to talk about the Word of God yes Jesus is the Word capital W and, yeah. and that when we approach Scripture it should be prayerfully and and I think it's inc- entirely important and and appropriate that when we are praying, um, that we make prayer a part of our, our scripture reading process, and that we actually ask Jesus to help us um, to help us interpret these words that we are reading together with Him. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, I love that you got uh, you had Brad Jerzak write the foreword uh, of your book, and and one thing that Brad is really good about is sort of this idea of being able to uh, that we are actually very good at listening to the voice of God, but we don't know that we're that good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that Jesus is is um, is wanting to have these conversations with us, but so often it's just our Father who art in heaven, amen, and we hang up before <laughs> we've given God the opportunity <laughs> to talk. And he yeah. particularly is one um, that really advocates for doing theology on our knees, that when we come to these difficult passages especially, that we, that we, we struggle through them in a mode of prayer even asking God, what are you showing us through these passages? And and I, I get a lot of that from the way that you're helping us too, um, in, in understanding Scripture and 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 sort of slaying these monsters that are so often created by that. So yeah, um, so I really appreciate that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit and about the cross and how that often creates a monster. And I'd love to to pick your brain on this too. Because I have been noticing as someone who writes music and, and publishes music and, and leads music Sunday after Sunday, week after week, I have been noticing 
in the songs that are popular. Um, one of them even came back uh, with our teens a couple weeks ago who went to the Nazarene Youth Conference, and it was sort of the big theme uh, song of the week. There's a lot of emphasis on the cross, and I have noticed lately in, in lyrics of songs that are written, even in modern hymns, um, there's almost a, an idolatry of the cross. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, and I'd love to get your thoughts about sure. this. Um, there's a way that you talk about of the cross creating a monster, but then there's also a deification of the cross in some ways that I am finding uh, throughout some of the modern uh, songwriting, whether it be a, a line like, we have been saved by the power of the cross, or something like that. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Or, or there'll be a line, um, I was just thinking of it the other day, uh, there is there is a line in a very popular worship song right now that says the cross has overcome Jesus is alive, and I and I thought okay take the music away and stop and think about that line you just said you just yeah. said the, the cross overcame <laughs> Jesus is alive and both can't be true like <laughs> right yeah there's a sense in which we are making the cross into something it was never intended to be because we wouldn't say the electric chair has overcome or the right. injection has overcome or the hangman's noose has overcome and because of that jesus is alive no I, our emphasis is that no jesus overcame the powers of death and the cross and and i just find it very interesting that there's almost a deification of the cross going on but um anyway I, i'd like to hear maybe your response on that but also let you have a chance to talk about the way that the cross often creates monsters as well yeah um <clears throat> That's interesting because I think, yeah, I, I think a lot with music um, and with lyrics, we we kind of let stuff go because it sounds good. Yeah, right. <laughs> and exactly. um, and and I'm I'm sure I'm sure whoever wrote those, um, they may have intended a whole a whole different meaning. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus. Jesus conquered the cross. <laughs> mm -hmm, I right. mean, the, the, the cross represented death and that's what, that's what Jesus conquered. Um, and I, you know, like I said, they probably meant something completely different. Um, but yeah, I think, um, sometimes too, if we, how we position, how we talk about the cross, if it becomes this thing, well, we believe Jesus did this, then, we sometimes lose, well, we get to participate in that too. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe that, that, that might be a little bit of a danger there too. Um, but yeah, I think, um, like you were talking about, I think that the cross, how we understand it can create that, that monster image of God. And I, um, you mentioned Brad Jerzak. Um, I was just so, just so grateful that he was willing to write the forward yeah. and he, um, I heard him talk once he was talking about um, how he used to really believe in that view of the cross where um, God needed punishment and Jesus, you know, uh, you know, Jesus was that punishment for us and that, mm -hmm. that sacrifice for us. And, and he was talking to a friend of his that was an or, uh, Eastern Orthodox priest. And, um, and the priest like didn't understand it at all. He was, he was like that. He's like, that's not God, that's Molech, <laughs> mm, yes. and um, that that that's a God who requires child sacrifice. That's that's not the Father of Jesus, um, and but that that's how we often portray 
the cross and, and the purpose of the cross. And, and when we do that, we make God into being very retributive, uh, very violent, and honestly not very forgiving. Um, because if you need, if you, if you, you know, if I tell someone, you know, um, man, you really hurt my feelings, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to beat you up a little bit. <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. that doesn't equate to forgiveness. Right. Um, and, and we see, like throughout scripture, God's, God's always forgiving, um, without requiring anything. He's just a forgiving God. Um, and so he doesn't, you know, the, the forgiveness on the cross, what Jesus does on the cross are linked, but it's, um, it's not because God needed somebody to die to forgive. It's Jesus went to the cross because God forgives. And as I said, in second Corinthians, God has reconciled the world through Christ, not holding our sins against us. Um, so the, the God always forgives, and it's that's just His nature. Um, but when, when we think of the cross that way, I mean, if if God is someone who needs to to pummel someone to forgive me, um, I don't feel very comfortable around that God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and 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 you can tell me until you're the, you're blue in the face. Well, Jesus did it, so you don't need you don't need He doesn't need you to be pummeled. That still doesn't make me feel comfortable. I mean that right. that um. You know, when I was in elementary school, I I warmed up to a bully because I didn't want to get beat up. Um, that doesn't mean I liked the guy. <laughs> right. That just means I didn't want to get beat up. <laughs> um, and and so when we're when we portray God that way, I mean, he just he doesn't come out looking good or anything like what Jesus says he is. Right. Yeah. And and when we when we see Jesus, we do believe in Christianity that that we see the image of who God is and what God looks like and I think often that means looking uh, peering into the face of Jesus and the life of Jesus we see so many things about him that we got wrong uh, even in scripture and and we have to go back to scripture as we talked about before and look at it again through the lens of Jesus and ask Lord what would you have us see you know from these passages and and um, so I appreciate your emphasis on that um, because I, I too have struggled. I, th- I think we all have just because of uh, that theology that says uh, God had to have a sacrifice because he was so angry. He was he was this wrathful, uh, almost like a wrathful child himself that just had to be appeased. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And what, Je- and what Jesus shows us um, is, is such a different picture of, of who God is, a God who loves us enough to lay down his life. Um, I, I don't have any time uh, in my life anymore for <laughs> for a false god. Yeah. Um, that that I you know that at one time I thought well God loves you so much that he beat his son to a pulp and killed him um, so yeah. so that he could somehow have relationship. He was so angry at you that he tied his son son up and beat him half to death and now he feels better. Yeah. Uh, or or yeah. beat him to death completely. If if we said that about any human being. Um, like I, I can ima- I can't imagine as the father of a six-year-old son and and boys they they are uh, rambunctious at times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But if, but if but if my neighbor did something offensive to me that you know it you know uh, caused a rift in our relationship, I can't imagine that I would say I am so mad at my neighbor. I'm gonna just take my son out back and torture him and kill him, and now I can go have a good relationship with my neighbor. Uh, you know, yeah. it's sort of like that doesn't make any sense. And and I love, you know, the Orthodox Church doesn't have any concept of that. You know, no, they, they the don't. Old, the oldest 
uh, branch of Christianity that we have back to the very beginning. Early, the early church would have no concept of that. It's a right. very new development in the last several hundred years. So um, I love looking more at the the cross as a as a healing moment and and showing us a, a totally different picture of God. And you you brought that out in your writings and in your book and. And I realize that now, by the way, side note, we've gone a little bit over our half hour that I originally talked about with you. Are you still okay going a bit longer? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay, great. Well, we'll continue, and there's a lot more we could say about the cross, but sure, our, yeah. our understanding and our misunderstanding of it, you write about it very eloquently in the book, and so I want people to write more. Um, but there's a lot that, that we could benefit from, from a new understanding of the cross. And But maybe I should say, rather than a new understanding, a more ancient understanding <laughs> would be a better. Yeah, thing. exactly. Uh, because yeah. the new understanding has really messed up our theology and created monsters, as you've said. Yeah. And, and, and going right along with that, because uh, usually what is said is, you know, the cross is there so that you could... Um, you could miss hell, you know, basically, right. so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. Let's talk a bit about how our understanding or maybe even our misunderstanding of hell also creates a monster. And, and it almost makes this um, this trinity of monsters caused by a misuse of Scripture and the cross and hell together. But, but talk to us a little bit about that and the understanding of hell and how it creates a monster. Yeah, I think this was <clears throat> this was a thing that initially started um, – unraveling things for me. Um, and when, when you think about the gospel that is often told um, and in combination with our concept of hell, um, you know, this is sort of a caricature of that, but it basically comes out that, you know, God loves you so much and he wants to rescue you. So he just wants you to accept his love. But if you don't, He's gonna torture you forever, <laughs> right. and and um, I remember this movie. Um, I can't remember when it was made, but it has Julia Roberts and it. it's called Sleeping with the Enemy, and and she's married to this abusive husband who basically has the same posture, like you will love me or I will hurt you, <laughs> and that you know, I mean, that's the uh, that's what God ends up being, um, in that picture, and it just doesn't. You know how do you how do you warm up to a God like that? I mean, we're we're supposed to be able to um, come to Him in our weaknesses, and when we mess up, and when we're feeling shame and fear. I mean, how do you do that when um, when God basically embodies your nightmares? Um, it just it just doesn't work that way, right. and and so we're we end up having to wonder like which God is the real one because, um, you know, he, he's saying, um, I love you and I accept you and I want you to accept my salvation. But then he's also saying, um, but after you die too bad, <laughs> you know, like if you didn't choose me before life, well, before the end of life, then, your decisions up and it, and it makes God, it's like, which God is the real one? Like apparently he takes off this really nice face after death and then shows us what he's really like. And that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And it, and it, um, it totally undermines what the church has proclaimed, you know, for 2000 years about Jesus conquering death. Um, if death has really been conquered, 
through Jesus' death and resurrection, why does it have any power over our ability to choose Christ? And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And so if, if, if God is that, um, if that's how we portray hell as God inflicting punishment on us, um, because we didn't accept his love, um, he, you know, he ends up looking like that abusive husband and you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, how do you experience love and joy and peace in that kind of environment? I mean, I, I tried and, and when I didn't, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, but then I, you know, I realized that that's not what the gospel is. That's, that's not what it was in the beginning. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, you say in your book too, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to read it straight out of your, out of, uh, out of there's a God in my closet. It says, apparently God holds some pretty impressive grudges. And unless you explicitly ask for forgiveness for all the ways you have sinned, God will continue to hold that grudge for all eternity. Uh, I know people who can hold some pretty stubborn grudges, but this is on a whole other level. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, and that's that's true. That's often what we say about God. Let, let me ask you your your thoughts about hell. And we're we're obviously not going to get into all of this in the few minutes that we have left here, and we're not going to solve hell for everybody right. <laughs> on this. Yeah. But I've come to an understanding more as as I've approached scripture and I just I think more as I've come to know God more and as he's revealed more of himself through his word and through times of prayer and with times of worship I think I'm starting to see hell more and more um as as an absence of God and and a place where love does not exist and a place where um there is true loneliness and a place of brokenness and a place of hurt and I think it's interesting that that so often we only think about hell in terms of, of afterlife. And in fact, in, in all my travels over the years, uh, doing music at revivals or whatnot, I actually was at a revival one time where the emphasis of the entire week was what happens after we die. And, and one complete message was about hell. And um, there was barely any mention of God or Jesus in it at all. It yeah. was, they forgot to mention the good news you know, oh, <laughs> in the midst of it. Yeah. And it was sort of like, huh, that's interesting. Um, so, so I've personally come come to see hell quite differently um, as as a place of of such barrenness and such aloneness away from God, and I think it's interesting that that so often we um, we make it as a place that that God uses because He hates people so people sin so much that that He sends them there, and I have come more to understanding whatever hell is. Um, it's not something that God has in, in, in mind for us. It's something, it's a place we find ourselves when we um, don't want anything to do with God. And uh, it's, yeah. it's relational. Um, I, I see people on earth that I look at and I think, man, they are they are in such a bad place. And, and we will literally call it hell on earth sometimes, don't we? You know, oh, yeah. We talk yeah. about those people. Uh, and I know there's more to it than that, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying I don't believe in a hell, but my understanding of hell has changed over the years. And um, I, I just wonder kind of where, where you fall in line with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, I think that's about as good a way as you could put it, that it's just the absence of of the goodness of God. Um, my spiritual director, the way he put it, and he, he puts things so eloquently, um, he said, hell is not a linear reality, it's a relational reality. Mm-hmm. So it's not about, 
you know, now or then or something that happens at some point, it's um, the dynamic of our relationship with God. And so we can, if, if we don't have that relationship and we're not experiencing that love, we can experience that hell now. Hmm. Um, and then we can experience it later as well. But like you said, it's not something that God desires for us. And, and I've, I've come to believe, um, and I, I just feel like this is the only way I can be faithful to to my understanding of God is that his mercy and his love, it never ends. And so there's there's no point in my understanding, there's no point in this life or the next where God stops wanting salvation for us. I mean, if if that's true, then how do we know what kind of God we're dealing with? I mean, we we say he's the same yesterday and today and forever. I mean, that's true or it's not. And if he's if he's love and if his mercy never ends, I mean that that has to be true for all eternity. Yeah. Well, and and, and it, it also surprises people at times. I think when they find out that there's not just one view of what hell is in the Bible, and sometimes right. it's actually sometimes it is actually literally referencing a place on earth. <laughs> Going back to a conversation with my rabbi friend, um, was talking about um, uh, the the oh, is. I believe I forgot the word all of a sudden. Uh, is it Gehenna that's used in uh, the New Testament when Jesus talks about um, the 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 burning trash pile? Um, I can't think. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's Gehenna. Ge Gehenna, right? I I don't know why my mind went blank for a second, but we were talking about that one day. He said, "I've been there. It's lovely." And I, I said, what? <laughs> And he funny. brought me he brought me a picture of it from his trip. And he said, "Oh no, this is the literal place Jesus was talking about when he was describing it at the time. It was sort of the burning garbage heap, but now it's it's got flowers and it's beautiful. It's been beautified the whole area." And so he was like, "Sending you my picture from hell, you know, <laughs> where I was." Well, and there's um, you know he's. I'm sure there's, you know, a little bit of a joke there, but there's there's a lot of profound truth to what he's saying there. And there's yeah. um, there's a lot that I get into my book about how um, some depth behind that that people can can get into. But they um, I would also recommend um, which I um, a book that helped me a lot by Brad Jerzak once again is um, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. That's a really helpful book. Yes, excellent book. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, well, that's great. Well, you know what? We're almost out of time, but uh, there's one more talking point that I want to try to get in if, if you're good with it. Um, yeah. Uh, just finding a new starting point because a lot of what uh, you are talking about in the book, this is going to be a lot for people to take in at once. Um, but a new starting point being that we are created good. And, you know, it's interesting because just last night um, we, we've been using a Bible story app uh, on, on our phones and iPads and stuff here at the house. And uh, it's sort of a little animated uh, Bible story app. And, and it starts right at the beginning. And last night my son wanted to hear about how God created the earth again. And I, th I thought, okay, let's go to that story, you know, and so mm -hmm. I went in there and I, I found it very interesting that just last night, uh, this, this Bible app very much emphasized that God said it was good. Yeah. He created it good. And, and it was, it was, uh, in a way that I don't always hear in popular applications or, or popular things, but it, it literally does say in scripture that God saw it, God created it. And it was good. So yeah. talk to us a little bit, if you would, about maybe finding this new starting point and why you feel that's so important. Yeah, um, man, it's it's so important. I, I mean, I think um, 
I think um, discovering who God really is and then discovering who you really are are so important and and they and they're linked. They're not separate things. Um, I I think it was Thomas Merton said something along the lines of when you find God, you'll find yourself. And when you find yourself, you'll find God. Um, because we, we're created in his image. Um, and that, that starts, um, you know, starts from the very beginning. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's so important. It just, I know for me, um, you know, I, I just believed I was bad for so long. Um, um, and then I, therapy is so important in this too of just kind of um exploring some of your past hurts and pains and and realizing um this is something that i've learned that that children do is that when they're when their parents act um not even necessarily bad but when their parents act not perfect you know when they're just human and they they act out of stress or frustration um Children, when they're young, their world makes sense if their parents are perfect. And and when their parents don't act perfect, then the, what the children do is they say, well, then I, I'm the problem. Um, because then that makes my, my world still makes sense because my parents are still perfect, so I'm the problem. Hmm. Um, and so I, I realized through therapy and through people helping me that that's what I did. And so to realize that what... what um, what we call original sin or depravity of us being bad, the core of that in my being was a lie that I believed as a kid. Um, it's, it's like waking up from a bad dream. Um, and, and that's not, that's not the starting point in scripture. Um, we're, we're created good. I mean, that's, and and it takes healing and it takes um you know a journey um with Christ through death and resurrection to to die to our defense mechanisms that we've built up and and all those things i mean it takes that journey but we can get to a place where we know that we are good mm-hmm. and and can be secure and and our identity in Christ and then out of that we can actually love people um, because so often what we, what we call love, you know, we, we, we're doing our best, but we're doing it out of our dysfunctions and out of our insecurity. And so what we call love often ends up being manipulation and, and codependency. And, and it's not, it's not, um, as concerned about the other person as we would like to think. Um, but when we get to this place where we know we are good and we, we not we're not dependent on other people healing us because we and, and they're part of the journey but we get to this place where we know that we are good because god has made us good mm-hmm. um then that codependency can can stop and and we can love people from a secure place and we can if someone um you know if if my wife is short with me one day um i can stop taking it so personally and and realize, oh, she's just, she's having a bad day. And, mm-hmm. and instead of me taking it personally and then getting frustrated, which is not loving, I can say, oh, man, she's just having a bad day. What can I do to help her? Mm-hmm. And, and she does that all the time for me. And it's, um, 
and that that's what this you know that that's what it's all about in the end i mean it gets us to that place where we can love like god loves us yeah well and, and i want to point listeners too if, if we're talking about because this might be a lot for a lot of people to take because some uh, theological strains of even our listeners would say that uh, you know we are completely de- depraved and that we uh, you know, basically, what God does in in on the cross is almost like He covers us with a white snow, so God can't see how bad we are anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because not only just um, as I've studied more again, like the Orthodox Church, but even going further back to Judaism. And once again, sorry, this is the third time I've referenced uh, my local rabbi. <laughs> That's we've all right. About we've talked about this, and we've even talked about it on this show. Um, what we call the fall, uh, that what Christians call the fall, or evangelicals especially, um, is what uh, in Judaism they actually call it the uplifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a story for him as, a, again, getting back to the way we translate scripture, um, he doesn't look at it as a science book or a book of, of history in the way that we think of history these days. He looks at it as a story of mankind. He said, this is what happens to all of us at some point. We find this thing that, that we've made a wrong choice and it causes us harm. And we have to leave the place of childhood and move into a place of maturity, which mm. there's more responsibility that's given. Um, he talks about uh, leaving the garden um, for, you know, you're leaving childhood and you're leaving into a place of maturity where now you have to work and you experience things like tilling the land and, and childbirth and things like that that you hadn't known as a child. And it, it creates a completely different starting place. And, and, and the fact that, you know, God created this good and he talks about um, the rabbi talks about all of us can sin and all of us will sin but there's also a need for us to ask for forgiveness and return to that that doesn't mean that we're not good and that we're somehow so depraved that God doesn't love us anymore yeah yeah I found that to be very interesting as we uh, approach that place it's not that we're it's not that we're um, that we are good and we can't ever sin or do anything wrong it's that we are created good and we have these choices that we can make and with the power of the spirit we are able to overcome um, and when we're not also through the power of the spirit, uh, we are able to ask forgiveness and be restored yeah. and, and remade. And that's a whole different thing than saying you're, you're worthless garbage until Jesus did something to change you. You know? Oh yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and I know through, through my own journey and through, um, my wife's journey and we've been involved in foster care. Like, um, I mean, this, this is a very sweeping statement. I don't want to be too grandiose with it but it seems like so many so much depression and anxiety and so many dysfunctional behaviors come from children either being told or just believing somehow in themselves some sort of message of i am not good um and if if we're if we're saying you know that that's what we that's part of what we deal with in childhood a lot. But if we're on top of that saying that's how God sees you, that's a big problem. Mm, for sure. Well, Ben, that uh, we've, we've gone over our allotted time, and I want to thank you for taking some extra time today to have these conversations. Sure. Um, I, I, I think that it's important, and I think your new book, There's a God in My Closet, Encountering the Love Who Embraces Our Skeletons, 
I think it's going to be a help to a lot of people and, and maybe even a, a great point of discussion. Uh, I know we have a lot of different listeners from, from a lot of different denominations or even people who listen to this show at time that are not a part of any uh, religious community. And so, again, I want to remind all of you who are listening, um, we I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your comments and your thoughts. Um, we're not saying that we're definitely right on everything that we have said on this show or that we are wrong one way or the other, but we're definitely open to the conversation. And uh, we want to find healthier ways of embracing the faith. And uh, so if you could and, and want to, you always feel free to, to find me on social media, uh, on Twitter at Rick Lee James. You can leave a comment there or you can write me an email, rick at rickleejames.com. And I encourage all of you who are listening to, to check out Ben DeLong's new book, there's a God in my closet encountering the love who embraces our skeletons Ben it's been great to have you this week and thank you for being one of the voices in my head oh no problem I really enjoyed it thank you so much thank you for joining me here this week on voices in my head I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me get my music on vinyl and CD follow my blog and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit... You may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.